The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 1 through 17. We're continuing today in our series. It's called The Disciples' Path. It is recorded multiple times in the Gospels that Jesus called those who believe and trust in him to also follow him. A disciple is someone who not only follows Jesus, but with their life and their words, they show others how to walk out the path of obedience as well. We're taking eight weeks to lay out what it really looks like to walk the path of a disciple. And so far, we've covered salvation, water baptism, church membership, living in community, uh, and gathering as God's people. So this week, we're going to look at serving like Jesus, okay? Serving like Jesus. So we're in John chapter 13. I hope you turned there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be on the screens. If you don't own a Bible, we have them for free. Please take one before you leave. We like giving Bibles away. All right, so I'm going to read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Here we go. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured out water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he had girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has been bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and he'd taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Praise God for his word. Now, before we get too deep here, and to make sure there's no confusion uh, because of the shifting meanings of language, I know that there's probably many of you here who have seen a film that was made in 2004. It received one star from the movie reviewing website Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this film, it was about the highly competitive world of breakdancing, okay? And the title was, You Got Served. Anybody remember that? It's a good one. So what I want you to know is that in the context of that film, the phrase, you got served, what it meant was, uh, we did well at this thing 
and you probably will not do very well at this thing. That's basically what they're saying. <laughs> they say you got served, okay? Uh, that's not what we are talking about when we talk about serving. Um, and it might seem silly to you that I'm pointing this out, but I know there's some confusion about this because I found an image floating around on the interwebs. I want to show it to you guys. It's right here. Here we have, apparently, an image painted of the Lord Jesus himself, breakdancing, and it says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And it actually has a scripture reference, Mark 10, 45. Okay, so just to be sure that we're not confused, when we're talking about service, they actually really inverted the understanding of this, because if Jesus stood up from that breakdancing session and just said, you got served, that's the exact opposite, actually, of what he means when he's calling us to service, okay? So now that we've removed any possible confusion and any language barriers here, uh, Here's the reality. Here's what Jesus is calling to. Here's what he's showing us as he washes his disciples' feet and then teaches about it. Seeing ourselves as servants and living out this identity is a crucial and non-negotiable part of following Jesus. All the words of Jesus that we have recorded, they are the most important words ever spoken by any human mouth. But when we look at the timeline of when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and then when he teaches them what it means, we see that the Lord himself saw these principles to be paramount in importance. You see, this foot washing happened at the Last Supper. Now, John chapter 13 through 17, it records what Jesus did and taught during this dinner with his disciples. It'd be good for you to go back and read all that. But this is of special significance, this time frame, because this was the last extended period of time he had with him before he was betrayed by Judas, arrested by the Romans, tortured, and then murdered by crucifixion. Okay? So this is the last thing, these are the last things the Lord Jesus is teaching to his disciples and saying to his disciples. Uh, verse 15 in what we read today, it tells us that this is not just a nice gesture on the part of our master. But he was very intentional in setting an example for all those who are his disciples to follow. Let me read you verse 15. It says, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Okay? He didn't do this for the gram. All right? He did this on purpose, knowing that we are going to see it and commanding us then to do something about what we see him doing, to follow him in this. Okay? So what I want to do is let's look at together and, and, and we'll see uh, what we can learn about how we can follow after our servant Savior in this, okay? So let's look at verses uh, 3 and 4 again. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, knowing that he got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. There is a common misperception that the weak should serve the strong. We see this lie work itself out in human societies, both ancient and modern. Men and women will often do whatever is necessary to gain money, power, and influence so they can rise from the lowly station of one who serves to the exalted station of one who is served. This lie keeps many people from enjoying the experience uh, of walking in love as we were created to. 
instead of scrambling and clawing and sinning in order to build an existence where others serve us, Jesus calls us to return to our God-ordained purpose as love-motivated servants. But this is difficult, though, if we're being honest. It's difficult when we live in a cultural and societal structure that tends to glorify autonomy and power. When someone has the means to only do what they want to do, and they can pay or otherwise coerce someone into doing all the things they don't want to do, we tend to say things like, they've made it, or they are successful. We see, though, in Jesus, a different definition of what success means. And we also see a different way that power should be wielded. It's so interesting that John lays out this knowledge Jesus had of a couple things. First of all, his authority from the Father. He said all things have been given into his hands, right? And his relationship to the Father. He came from the Father. He's going back to the Father. John lists these things going on in the mind of Christ as a motivation for the act of selfless service he was about to undertake. You'll notice in Johannine literature in general, right? So if John wrote it, typically you're going to see more of the background of Jesus' thoughts. We don't know why. We don't know if John was just more plugged in. He was one of the closer friends of Jesus. We don't know if he asked more questions. But if you saw this account written by one of the other gospel writers, you probably wouldn't get that background, like here's what Jesus was thinking. But we do get that when John writes, okay? Which, I don't know, book of John is great, so get in there and get after it. Okay, so he's motivated by his authority from the Father and his relationship to the Father. And that's what's sending him into this act of selfless service that he's about to undertake. Say, okay, so you see that Jesus knew exactly who he was, and so he was not afraid of appearing weak by getting low to serve others. Jesus was confident in who he was. Luke 22, uh, when it talks about this same event, it records the disciples, and they're on the way into this same Passover meal that John is talking about, but they're arguing as they walk into this before. So Luke doesn't tell us about the foot washing. They're very focused, he's very focused on other details. But what is happening as the disciples walk into this Passover meal is they are arguing about who among them is greatest. They had bought the lie. They had been pulled into the carnal way of thinking that seeks affirmation and self-worth by attaining some rank or prestige over and above other people. And so they're bickering on their way into this event about who's the greatest. Jesus turns this way of thinking upside down by showing them that the one in the room that they all knew to be the greatest among them, that he used his power and authority to serve instead of demanding to be served. This is true power living free from the need to posture and to prove your value by getting others to serve you, but instead being confident enough to love and serve others humbly, even if some who are watching that would perceive that as weakness. Jesus wasn't concerned about how someone might misperceive what he was doing. Jesus was very confident. And it's, John, John lays it out, knowing, knowing, that all things had been given into his hands, knowing that he had come from the Father and was headed to the Father. Jesus knew who he was, 
And he was not scared or worried that someone was going to mistake his service for weakness. We can walk in that same freedom. Because in John chapter 1, verse 12, we see that all who have trusted in Christ and who have been saved by his grace, they've been given the right to become the children of God. Friends, our God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His sovereign supremacy rises above all other earthly authority to an immeasurable degree. This means there is no higher position that a human can occupy than to be a child of God. If a man is an earthly king or a woman is an earthly queen, that title is paltry, temporal trash compared to the title child of God. We share in Christ's power and victory because God made it possible for us to be made righteous by faith. Let me read you this from Ephesians 2 quickly. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, when you know who you are in Christ, that you are a child of the Most High, you can be free from the insecurity that could cause you to shy away from humble service. When you know who you are in Christ, you are free to serve all people with a pure motive of love. Because Jesus showed us serving humbly is a sign of real power, not weakness. So the first thing we see here is that Jesus served out of strength, not weakness. The second thing we see here that may be so practical we would, we would tend to skip over it, but I think we need to say this. He noticed the need. He noticed the need. For some people, not wanting to appear weak is a stumbling block in the way of fulfilling our God-ordained status as servants. But for others, it can be as simple as apathy and laziness. No amen on that? <laughs> All right. We'll keep going. We all struggle. It'll get better. You'll get, there'll be more chances for you to be mad. We all struggle to varying degrees with a selfish and self-centered view of the world. Did you say everyone? Yes. If you think you don't, then I would encourage you to ask yourself if you think you've arrived at perfection. Because here's the deal, friends. All sin, all sin is in some way a departure from the supreme command to love God and love people. Think about it. Sit there for a second. Check me on it. Every single sin is at some level a departure from the supreme command. Okay? So if that's true, Romans 3.23 says that we all sin and fall short of the glorious perfection of God. And so all of us, when we sin, are choosing not to walk in love. All of us, when we sin, are not taking the path of a love-motivated, humble servant. We're choosing selfishness. We're choosing a self-focused uh, emphasis or decision that's going to, we think is going to benefit us the most. Of course, that's always false because the kingdom of God is inside out and upside down, right? And so we, we lose our life to gain it. It is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit to see the world any other way than through the lens of our own needs, wants, desires, and hopes. With God's help, 
we can begin to see the world around us with more clear and selfless vision. But we will never arrive at a place where there is not room for us to grow in this way. We will always contend with the remnants of our sinful flesh up and until the day Jesus calls us home. These selfish lenses that, that we all struggle with, they are very narrow, and they often keep us from even noticing opportunities to serve because we are so laser-focused on serving ourselves or promoting our own self-interests. This is something simple, yet it's profound that Jesus teaches us here with this example, friends. He was in the room, and he noticed the need. He noticed it. That was step one. Had he not noticed it, we would not have this beautiful example from the master of what real power looks like and what real love-motivated service looks like. And here's the thing. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus noticed the need, but this wasn't rocket science, okay? Everybody there, everybody in the room knew it was customary for a lowly servant to wash people's feet when they came into a gathering like this. Okay, there was a reason why this was customary. All right, people wore sandals uh, for the most part. The roads were dusty and they were dirty, right? I know, you know, there's areas of town here that it's, it's not uh, like walking in a pristine park all the time, but it's not the same as the roads of that day. They were very dirty, uh, oftentimes littered with animal excrement, okay? And so it was, it was filthy to walk around. Your feet would have been very dirty from any kind of travel. And, and here's the thing. Even if the disciples in the room, they were just, you know, maybe they were amped up or maybe they were tired, I don't know. But even if, even if they just forgot what was customary, they just overlooked this opportunity to serve, it, sh- it really would have been obvious pretty fast that there was a need to be met. I'm making a case that they, they should have seen it, okay? Um, here's, here's why I'm saying that. First of all, if you think about the, the way that they sat at the table, when it talks about reclining at the table, okay, most of us think about we're sitting on a table for dinner, we're going to sit in a chair, and our feet kind of go up under the table. Okay, this was different. They, they, would, have, they would have all, there would have been some uh, cushions and whatnot. The table would have been like coffee table height probably. And so just if you pretend this is coffee table height, so what they'd do is they'd come up to it and they'd lean against it like this, okay, and their feet would be down behind them. Now, if I actually sit down in the position that they would have been in, I'm not going to get back up. And so then I'll be preaching this from a wheelchair. So just use your imagination for the rest, okay? So they're leaning like this. Their feet are out. Everybody's feet are out, okay? And, and they're sitting down, so everyone's heads are fairly close to everyone's feet. You get one of them, okay, so the smell, the sight, it, you did not need a PhD in body cleanliness. Do they have PhDs in that, Brother Andrew? Probably not. You can't get that, all right. But you didn't need a PhD in anything, okay? to understand there's a need here. We got a bunch of nasty, smelly, dirty feet at this dinner table while we're trying to do Passover, okay? <clears throat> it should have been pretty easy to notice. Everybody in that room either noticed the need and ignored it or were so focused on their own agenda or experience in this gathering that they actually didn't notice something that should have been very obvious. Either way, this is not acceptable for followers of Jesus. Either way. We don't get off either way. They don't get off either way. God's people should be the best in the world at noticing needs. And we should seek to meet those needs in loving and humble service. So, whether 
you are more likely to notice a need and be the kind of person that thinks, oh, that's disgusting. Why doesn't somebody wash these nasty feet? Whether you're that person or you're someone who is oblivious to the dirty feet because your eyes aren't trained to notice needs, the way forward is repentance and prayer. Prayer asking God to humble you to serve needs or to teach you to see needs. Now, remember, you were made to live in the posture of a love-motivated servant. And so your initial reaction to what I'm saying, it may be that all this humble servant stuff, it, it sounds like a bummer. But hear this, it is actually the way to real joy. Constantly, we have to remind ourselves that there, there are things we were made for. There, there are ways God designed us, and sin is always trying to take us in the opposite direction. And many times we become convinced that the opposite direction is actually the best thing for us. And we need our foolishness fixed by the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that most of what we are tempted to believe just needs to be flipped right on its head. And so most of us probably believe if we could hit the lottery and we could have a yacht and servants to bring, you know, whatever it is you like, uh, slushies all day long or, you know, whatever your dream would be, all right, that, that that would be it. I wouldn't have to do anything. I could sit there, get my tan on, you know what I mean, drink my drink. Most of us believe the lie that that would be the, the, that would be the pinnacle. We would have made it. Success. That's very much like a fish deciding, you know what would be so great? Land. I'm going to give that a try. It's not going to go very good for the fish. So Jesus, Jesus served out of strength, not weakness. Jesus noticed the need. He noticed the need. Friends, we got we to gotta pay attention. We got to pay better attention. We need God's help to stop ignoring needs that we see and we could meet, or to stop being blind to needs that are there because we're so focused on ourselves. The third thing I want to point out, which also is pretty basic, but it's the fact that he met the need. (laughs) Jesus shows here that noticing needs is only half of the equation. We must also step in as called and commissioned children of God and as co-laborers with Christ to meet the needs that we see. The opportunities here are endless. If we begin to see ourselves as gospel-empowered agents of change in the world, whether we are at home, at work, whether we're gathered for worship like this, or wherever you may find yourself, the grocery store, the gas station, wherever you are, if you see yourself as a gospel-empowered agent of change, commissioned by Christ to bring love-motivated service to the needs of the world, then we will have opportunities to serve others constantly in the name of Christ. If you can look around at this world and, like the disciples, not notice that some feet need to be washed, yeah, let's pray through that because we're struggling. Obviously, obviously there's lots of needs. Obviously, there's lots of opportunities to serve people. And listen, it's not always something as practical as washing filth off of people's feet. Sometimes serving somebody looks like noticing that they seem broken or that they're hurt and taking the time to come and serve them with words of encouragement or just speak life to them. This can look lots of different ways, but the idea is what that we're getting at is what is the posture of our heart when it comes to this? Do we actively look 
for opportunities to serve? Or do we juke those until we get cornered and, well, I'm a Christian, so I guess I have to? No amen there either? Okay. All right, I know, I know. This is, this is a good fun subject for all of us. So Jesus shows us that we can't just notice needs, we got to meet them, okay? Uh, and Jesus takes away all of our loopholes and excuses in verses 13 through 16, okay? So I'm going to read those to you again. Verses 13 through 16. It says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If we want to follow Jesus, we will have to abandon the way the world sees servants and service. We must embrace our position as children of God and realize this means we have both the authority and the responsibility to help in any way we can with both big society-wide issues, like homelessness, for example, but also seemingly small practical issues like taking out the trash. We have the authority and the responsibility as children of God to help meet needs, to serve in the name of Jesus. I want to just say a quick word to husbands and wives. This right here, what we're talking about, love-motivated sacrificial service in, the, in the, the reflection of what Christ has done, this is one of those basic Bible principles that we often trip over as we're reaching for some new or better solution for marital struggles. Okay, Asking for God's help to walk as a love-motivated and humble servant towards your spouse can go a long way towards healing. Uh, and there's a lot of situations. I'm not saying that's a, a silver bullet or a magic elixir, <clears throat> but I am saying you won't have uh, a healthy or godly marriage unless <clears throat> both spouses are orienting themselves as a servant to the other in humility and in love. And so... Uh, if that's not in place, maybe that would be something to focus prayer and effort towards. And I could, I could hear the pushback. I could hear the questions. And it's fair, and I get it. And, and, and I don't, please understand, my, my answer is direct, but I don't mean it to be harsh, okay? Because you could hear what I just said in, in terms of uh, spouses specifically. And you could think, well, okay, buddy, but you don't know my spouse, okay? So what if I get taken advantage of? What if they don't reciprocate? What if they don't serve the way I'm serving? Well, there's two things I'm going to say to you. One, Jesus washed Judas's feet too. The second is, how many times have you taken advantage of Christ's humble service towards you? Love you. I, I tried to think about how to sprinkle sugar on that. I just couldn't come up with anything. So I just gave it to you straight up, okay? <clears throat> Those who have been made children of God by the grace and mercy of God are free to walk in the divine occupation of being a servant and to wear that title as a badge of both strength and honor. We're free because we've been made children of God by the grace and mercy of God. 
Jesus washing the feet of his disciples was an incredible example of humble service. But it's very likely that this lesson was given when it was given. You remember I told them this is the, this is the last supper, okay? So this is towards the very tail end of Jesus' ministry. He doesn't have much time left. As a matter of fact, if you read to the end of what he teaches here, uh, in, at the end of 17, as soon as you go into 18, basically Judas shows up with the, with the Romans, okay? So this is it. So Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, it was an incredible example of, of humble service, but, but he probably gave this lesson when he did so that his disciples, both the men in that room, but also all who would come after, so that they would not miss the beauty of the even greater example Jesus was yet to show them. Him, the Lord of glory, getting down, stooping low, girding himself with a servant's towel, and washing the muck and dirt off the feet of his disciples is a beautiful example that leaves us no room to think we are somehow overqualified to, be a, to walk in the divine occupation of being a servant. Right? Yet... That was not even Christ's greatest example. This is Philippians 2. There's a good chance that you've heard this before, but please hear it again, keeping all that we've discussed in mind. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We would have an ironclad command and commission to live as humble servants just from the intentional teaching example Jesus gave in washing the feet of his friends. But then he went and took it to a whole other level. Because he didn't stop there. And honestly, you, you, see, you see he says something to Peter about, uh, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand Hereafter, this, this whole thing with the foot washing, this is, this is beautiful. This gives us enough to be humble servants as followers of Christ for all the rest of our lives and to not complain about it ever because he who was highest in the room went lowest. But then, but then Jesus takes it a step further. He who is highest in all of creation gets even washing somebody's feet. This, this was a low assignment. This is something that a servant would have done. This, it's not something that the master of the table does ever. And yet, that same master, well, you thought he was low when he was stooped down washing people's feet. He got even lower than that. 
He submitted himself to a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus took the beating and the torture that our sin deserved. Jesus had his hands and feet nailed to a Roman crucifixion tool for the sins that you and I committed. He took the punishment every one of us deserves. You, you thought washing feet was low. He got even lower than that, all the way to death. The Bible says he was obedient to death, and even death on a cross. He took the shame and the scorn and all that we had earned. He took it on himself, went lower than any of us could possibly go. Look, we could wash each other's feet in here tonight. I thought about it, but then I thought, eh, maybe not. You know, I probably should warn you guys first because... Some of y'all might want to shave your toes or whatever. I don't know. But we could do that in here tonight, couldn't we? We could, we, could, we could get some buckets and we could do that. We could do a foot wash. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Glory, hallelujah. But here's what we could not do. We could never get as low as Christ did. When he got on that cross and he took the punishment for all of humankind's sin. And then he descended into Hades and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave straight from Satan. We can't get as low as our master went. And so anything we do short of that, anything we do in service short of that, we will never, ever come close to getting as low as our master did. And we'll never be as high as he was before he got low. And so we are left with no loophole. We are left with no excuse. We are left with no complaints. We are left with joy-filled, love-motivated, grateful service to one another within the household of faith, but also to a watching world. We absolutely, because of the gospel, have no excuses. None. We cannot consider ourselves too important for whatever opportunity presents itself to love and serve somebody. We can't. It doesn't matter how menial it is. It doesn't matter how high you think you are on the totem pole. It does not matter. Doesn't matter how well you think your specific set of skills need to be utilized elsewhere. We are never too great or too mighty to take out some trash or to talk to somebody that's down or whatever the task is. I don't have the quote here. I know that Spurgeon one time he said something about this is not this is not a quote, okay? But the point of what he was saying is he was saying take the low jobs, man. Seek for the jobs that nobody wants that nobody, and nobody knows after they're done. Go get that one. He says, because you're not going to be taking anybody else's job because nobody wants them. And those, it's in those things where you're going to find beautiful communion with your Savior. It's in serving in those ways where you're going to join him in the way that he served, in the way that he lived. We've got to get low to follow Jesus. May we be a people who serve with purpose and passion, just like our Savior. May we be a people who notice needs because we've been set free from selfish blindness. And may we rejoice in the privilege of serving for God's glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you were so intentional in all that you did. In the time that you walked this earth, in the time you instructed your disciples, what you said, what you did, it was on purpose. You had a plan. You were setting things up. Thank you for your wisdom far beyond what we could ever comprehend. Thank you, God. Thank you that your plan of redemption, it was, 
it was already laid out before you ever set the foundations of the world, God. That, that's mind-blowing. I can't even really wrap my mind around it, but I believe it because everything else you've said is true. I don't have to understand the details, the, the mechanics of all that you've said, Lord, to trust you that what you've said is true. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you, you stooped down low and you washed those men's feet that day. Thank you that you even washed Judas's feet and you left me no excuse to be hateful to my enemies. You left me no excuse to feel like I'm above serving someone else. You left me no chance to think I'm too good or too skilled to do anything, to answer any call, to take any opportunity to love and help and serve someone else. God, I thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you that, Lord, this church is full of people that their hearts are oriented towards service. They, they grab a hold of this concept and they live it out. God, but I ask you to just grow all of us in this. May our conviction be deepened that as children of God, we have the responsibility and we have the authority to meet every need we encounter. Help us, Lord, to not do our best to hold our hands on the side of our eyes and make it through life hoping we don't notice needs. God, help us to stop being so selfish. God, help us to see the world the way you see it. May our heart break for what breaks yours. Help us to see the way you see God. Lord, thank you for not asking us to live this way without empowering us to do it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you promised you would be with us even to the end of the age. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to indwell and empower us, God. Thank you. So many of us, as we're thinking about this, we're thinking about the monumental task of being an agent of change, of being a humble servant in every situation, and we're automatically realizing we don't have what it takes to do that. But I thank you, God, that you've never called us to anything that you've not also empowered us and equipped us for. So God, may this be yet another thing that presses us down into the proper posture that we would be knelt before you acknowledging our great need for you. We can't be humble, love-motivated servants following after the reflection of our king. We can't do what it is we see you calling us to do here, Lord Jesus, without your help. We can't do it without you. But you said we could ask for your help and you would meet us there and you would help us. So God, I pray that we would be stirred today by your word, that we would be stirred to prayer, that we would ask not only for opportunities but also for your help to bring hope and healing to those opportunities. Lord, we want to be servants. Thank you for showing us what real power looks like. May we walk it out for your glory, O oh God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give, or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.